We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. put it as this time Fachi. what's the j for we're just gonna go with jermaine because i love the guy so much that you can't go wrong saying jermaine all right well we do know that you are the president of the jermaine O'Neill fan club but that's what we once deemed you as on this show i mean it kind of lost its uh mojo a little bit but you know you are the president of the jermaine O'Neill fan club so we cannot you know take that away from you but with that being said our star tyrese halliburton Pretty exciting news from over the weekend, Fachi. Tell the people what's going on with our star point guard. Star indeed, and a star to the point where he has committed to Team USA. I loved it. I know some Pacer fans were a bit scared as in the past of what happened with Paul George. But guys, this is a great thing. One, it's bringing him great exposure. Two, he's going to take his game to the next level. And three, let's be honest, that's where a lot of relationships are formed. And I love the fact that a guy like Tyrese is in the mix getting the shine that he deserves. If the basketball gods are listening, please just keep our hero safe. Please. We don't want another Paul George and since everyone Ooh. still has PTSD from that, you know, because I actually I shared a bunch of our former interviews that we've done with players and I went back and listened to the David West one. And just hearing him talk about Paul George's injury there, it was like this is it. This is the nail in the coffin for this group that had just been so so good. And things could have been totally different had Paul been healthy that year. With LeBron going back to Cleveland, you never know what could have happened. The Heat broke up. I mean, yeah, we lost Lance, but I still think that was a good team if Paul had been his fully healthy self and coming into his prime even more. But man, oh man, it just keep Tyrese healthy because that's what we need more than anything. And I think with the way Tyrese plays, we shouldn't have to worry about that. But overall, uh, just excited for Tyrese to get this opportunity and represent the Pacers and himself. Uh, you know, in Team USA. Yeah, and I, I just love the fact that, like, the Pacers have really had Halliburton in the mix for a lot of things to be able to get a lot of exposure. And this is that exposure right now for the rest of the league to see, whoa, this really is one of the most talented point guards in the NBA. And I think that, that he's going to be one of the perfect players for that team that, let's be honest, you know, the, that team doesn't have your typical stars it's more of like you know anthony edwards mikhail bridges like players like that but who better than halliburton to elevate that group and take their game to the next level totally agree Fachi. so we've got a loaded show for our fans today we're going to bring on first from the front office show and from spot track keith smith which i think you guys are going to love keith uh always a great guest on our show but this one was really exciting because we talked about all different things, and I'll let Keith get to that. And then after that, who do we have coming on, Fudge? Tyler Metcalf from No Ceilings, breaking down Gigi Jackson, a player who we just found out will be getting a workout from the Pacers 
and has one of the highest ceilings in this draft. Yeah, I mean, when we rebuilt our big boards, uh, he was my surprise guy in the top 10. I had him at number seven. Youngest player in the draft, Foch. I mean, that's what's exciting about him. And he's got a lot of potential. If he can reach his potential, you're talking about a lottery pick that probably is going to be in the 15 to 25 range, I would assume. Seems like he's fallen out a bit. I know that uh, Jonathan Gavoni had him at like 33 in the second round. I'm just like, man, if the Pacers passed him up at 32, that'd be crazy. But, you know, I think that he's a very intriguing prospect that just has a long ways to go. We did touch on Trace Jackson Davis just a tiny bit with him, just kind of get uh, Tyler's thoughts on that. And then we ask him, favorite fits for the Pacers with their picks that they have and just kind of some guys that would really make sense. I think you can really enjoy that one. So loaded show for you today. Unfortunately, our Taylor Hendricks interview was not able to happen this week, but stay tuned because we're hoping to get that figured out. I know I tweeted that we were going to have that scheduled, but like things always happen on the schedule, they don't always come to fruition. So we will get him on at some point. But with that being said, let's go ahead and take a quick break. We'll be right back with the great Key Smith. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, everybody, we are back. We have a special guest. He is no stranger to setting the pace. It's none other than Keith Smith, contributor at Track and the front office show. Keith, what's going on? A lot. This is the uh, busiest time of year. You know, I have a lot of family who, when the games get few, they're like, oh, well, you're you're almost done, right? It's almost time for a break. And I'm like, no, this is when it gets the busiest for me with the <laughs> offseason coming and everything. But but I wouldn't have it any other way. This is uh, this is you know, right up there with my favorite times of the year. Always cracks me up. My wife's like, what are you even going to talk about? The Pacers aren't even playing. And I'm like, <laughs> babe, you have no idea. But speaking of content that came out today, Keith, you had a pretty awesome article talking about maybe uh, your expectations of the 2020 draft class that are up for extensions. And a few of the players that you went through are none other than, you know, Tyrese Halliburton and Aaron Neesmith. So I figured it was very relevant to touch on a guy like Tyrese Halliburton, who, as he enters this offseason, does it feel like there's any scenario where he could receive any less than the max extension? And can you talk about the prediction that you had for Halliburton? comp wise yeah i'd be extremely surprised if he got anything less than the max i think being an established all-star now right he's made that that level i think that'll only continue uh from here on out and i think the next step is uh to get in the all nba mix for for him and that'll happen as the team improves around him so often all nba is uh you know driven by team success um too you know right you have to be good as an individual of course but but your team also generally needs to be pretty good too so so i, th- I think that's going to be where he goes and because of that it that that's a max guy right that that's a no-brainer uh 25 of the cap max um whether or not the pacers want to go there or not that's just kind of what the market's going to dictate i'd be very shocked if if uh malcolm brogdon came or malcolm brogdon i'm already on to the next topic for later in the show in my head i'm thinking about old pacers guards um if tyrese halberton went in any other direction with that i also think there's a chance because again all NBA or all uh, all star level guy um, with a chance at All NBA uh, coming in the line, he may get that designated uh, rookie language in there, which could bump that that up to the thirty percent of the cap amount. And just to give those numbers, five years, that part has to be locked in on one of these designated extensions. It has to be for five years in length. But five year, twenty five percent of the cap—that's kind of the the low end max. That is two hundred and seven. 
thousand dollars, a little bit over that, two hundred seven thousand three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So, so that's where you're at with that. The designated rookie language, if he bumped up, if he made All NBA or one MVP or defensive player of the year, let's keep it to, to the realistic with, with the All-NBA, that would bump the extension of five years, 248,820, um, or two, 248,820,000. Yeah. I'm, I'm stumbling all over my words here. It's been a long day. Um, yeah. But regardless, right, so 250 million, 207 million, he's going to get something in that range. You can also put language in those deals where it can be if he makes third team all NBA, it's you know 28%. If he makes you know uh, third team all NBA or th- you know third team could be 26 and a half, uh, you know 27 and a half. He could do kind of all sorts of things in between there. So maybe they land out on that. And, and I, I think he's going to get one of those maxes without a doubt. I'd be very surprised if he doesn't at this point. Yeah, I, th- I think when we had Chad Buchanan on a couple of weeks ago, I asked him if that was priority number one, and he said that, you know, we'll we'll get there when we get there. But, <laughs> you know, I, I do think that it is uh, something huge you have to really discuss. And one of the big things I'm curious, too, is, you know, getting that All-NBA, like you just said, that comes from teams that usually have uh, a winning record. Does that maybe impact how the Pacers try to go about their offseason, try to be a playoff team? by next by next season so it does maybe catapult him into that all nba conversation which i'm sure he would really like to get that extra pay bump sure yeah and and i think you know for the pacers they're i know they're coming off a tough season but you can look at it and see they're not like miles and miles away like i look at another team in the division like the detroit pistons they're pretty far away They, they need a lot of their kids to really develop it very very quickly the pacers have the building blocks of a pretty solid uh group there with you know Halliburton and Miles Turner who was renewed renegotiated and extended his deal you got Buddy Heald still around they've got some kids who have taken some steps uh towards you know be, being pretty good players too and a couple rookies out of the, this past uh, uh year's draft in, in Matherin and um uh, Nemhard who I think are both good solid rotation players they they got to get a little bit more size you know especially on the forward line like I I've you know jokingly said you know my, my country for a forward for the Pacers because you know it's uh there's only so much you can do with the you know four guard lineups around Miles Turner. I think your ceiling's relatively limited with that. Yeah. But the good news is they've you know, got the the ability this summer to go do to go make that happen. They've got you know a good chunk of cap space. I project them at right now, uh, you just you know loosely at about twenty seven million, a little bit more than that in cap space. That's kind of right in the middle of the pack of the seven cap space teams that I have projected. But you know that that's still a good chunk of spending power, and that's something that they ought to be able to pick off. You know, a signing or two that really fit around kind of that. You know. I, I, I don't want to say established core, but the kind of potential core, I guess, is the best way to put that. Mm-hmm. I love the options that the Pacers have. They actually only have two players that are going to be making above $9.5 million. So good flexibility there. You got the five draft picks. That always remains to be seen how many the Pacers actually bring in. <laughs> yeah. So that could influence some things. But going back to what you mentioned before about Tyrese Halliburton, all NBA the NBA changed the rule to now you have to play 65 games in order to be able to qualify for All-NBA. We saw Halliburton play 56 games. Felt like he could have played a little bit more, but the Pacers played it safe, knowing at the end of the year, hey, look, there's more important things. Do we think we're going to see more emphasis on players getting to that 65-game mark, knowing that there could be you know, roughly $40, $50 million on the line being the difference between All-NBA or not? I think so, especially in the situations where there is a bunch of money on the line. I think you'll see those guys push to make sure they're on the floor. Now, that's a mixed bag, right? Because as the team, you want to be very careful that those guys are not pushing it when they shouldn't be, right? Because if if you know if you shouldn't play, we've all seen you know what could have been a one week injury turns into a month long injury, and that's not where you want to be either. So you know, hopefully you know. Players and teams are smart. Nobody gets selfish about, you know, getting out there. But I do think you're going to see more guys and probably more teams in the coming years with the 65 game minimum. And there's, there's workarounds within that, right? There's like, there's like, it feels like there's like 
37 million conditions on it where it's like, you know, oh, if he does this, but then he also sneezes, it doesn't count as a game missed, like, and just weird stuff. So we'll see ultimately where that all lands out. But I think what we're going to see with Halliburton is he would have hit that marker, I feel like, with relative mm-hmm. ease, had the season not kind of been uh, let's be kind and say reprioritized in, in yep. a different direction. Um, you know, I, I think uh, you know he he would have been on the floor, but once there was a point of, all right, the playoffs are out of reach here. Let's uh, let, 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 let's maybe you know make, make sure you're really really okay. You know, instead of being you know ninety eight percent, let's make sure we're at you know one hundred percent before we get back out there, and that'll also be influenced right if they have a chance to play play for something in March and in the beginning part of April. Of course, he'll he'll be you know playing in those games if he's able. When you look at the Pacers roster, they still have a ways to go. And like you said, they got to continue to beef up the front, especially with their forward position. They got veterans, guys like Daniel Tice, guys like Buddy Heald that could be on the move this offseason via trade. What do you think their value is across the league? I know Tice, especially, probably a little bit lower than Buddy, but just curious do these guys have much uh, value across the league, or do you think it's going to be minimal? Well, it depends with Tice, right? If the Boston Celtics can get him back, there's all kinds of value there, right? Because they, <laughs> they seem to trade for him whenever they're able. Um, you know, and that, that restriction will lift here in just a little bit, uh, you know, as the offseason starts. But, you know, being realistic, there's probably just not a lot of value left in Tice. I think, you know, just the injuries have, have you know, really kind of taken him out of the mix and then obviously I think he's probably another guy could have played more but the Pacers are in a spot where it's hey let's take a look at some of our kids instead right we we, we don't really need to you know have you out there where we'll go that said I think his 9 million or so 9.1 million is a you know it's just a it's not going to hurt to have that to throw into a trade mm-hmm. right so let's say they wanted to add him to you know buddy healed and go get a you know 30 million dollar player i don't think that's going to be something that's going to you know well now you have to give us a first round pick because of that it's not that kind of bad salary or anything like that healed's a different different whole animal altogether as far as his situation just because that becomes a a it's kind of an eye of the beholder type of thing for me with him, where if you're a team that is like, no, what we're short on is a shooter. All of a sudden that $19 million looks pretty good. Right. And you're like, let's go get it. Let's make it happen. Let's, let's do this. If you're a, if you're a team that's like a little bit more on the, the come up and it's like, yeah, we're still kind of building this. You probably are like, man, I don't know. That's the direction we want to go. We might want to go a little younger um, or somebody on a little bit longer term of a contract and those kind of things. But he's the kind of guy who can help a lot of different teams. You just have to be able to really incorporate his uh, specific unique skill set as a shooter and score because you know, no, no knock on him, but he doesn't bring a whole lot else, right? He's never really developed into much of a playmaker. Uh, his defense is you know, passable at best, I guess is the best way to put it. But but if you need shooting, that's not not a bad number, especially where things are going cap-wise. Like I look at the Clippers traded for Gordon on a very similar type number to give them shooting off their bench. That's the kind of thing Buddy Heal could do for any number of contenders. You know, a player that did play good defense and did develop a bit was Aaron Neesmith, someone that you're very familiar with from his time in Boston. He was another player that is up for that rookie extension, but your prediction was no extension. And I fully understand because, you know, this was really the first season we got to see, you know, Aaron put it all together and the Pacers do have needs at the wing spot. They're looking for fours. You know, it's, it's, there's a lot where they want to maybe prioritize ahead of that extension what was sort of your reasoning and thinking, you know what, I don't think they get it done this offseason? Yeah, I think other priorities is one, right? You've it's with the new CBA and where it's going, you have to be very careful of what kind of long-term contracts you you lock into. Um, because if you get too many of them, even if they're they're all mid-range contracts. Too many of them put you in a really difficult spot because you're going to get very expensive very quickly. Um, There's also, to your point, one healthy season is probably not enough, right? His first two years were so injury marred. Uh, he was in and out of the lineup all the time. Anytime Boston was ready to hand him minutes, felt like he was on the court for a game or two and then got injured. Um, but we started to see real flashes, right? You you saw his his um, on-ball defense, I think, got better. I think his off-ball defense was good. His activity is always wonderful. He, he's always getting after it. I remember, I think it was before the season when we were breaking down, you know, with you all of what you were going to kind of get. I, I think I 
said, you guys are going to love this dude's energy that he plays with, right? Because it's it's through the roof, which is a little weird for a guy who's like branded as like a shooter, mm-hmm. right? Was what he was supposed to be that he's like, like we nicknamed him Crash in Boston because he was like the Kool-Aid man, like flying through through walls and stuff. Um, and then most importantly for his development, his shot started to fall more often. And he started to do... Not a lot of off the dribble, but like one dribble off a screen and pull up into a shot, which is big. He wasn't just the standstill guy, wasn't just a catch and shoot guy. And that, that's big and that has a lot of value. But you put all of it together and it's like, yeah, where are we going to go with this? And I think what happens ultimately in a situation like his and for several other players in the league, the number for the Pacers to feel comfortable with would have to be so low that I think Neesmith is better off betting on himself Mm -hmm. where it becomes, you know what? I can't do an extension that low because that'll still be there for me in restricted free agency in in the summer of 2024. So I'm going to hold off, bet on myself that maybe I pop and really break out and I become, you know, everything everybody thought I would be as a former lottery pick. And now all of a sudden we're in a spot where, you know, that 10, $11 million a year is more like 17, $18 million a year. And that's, and that's fine. I, I think sometimes we go a little too far with the idea of, an extension didn't get done, so the team must not be happy with this guy. When in reality, it's, hey, we still get a second chance at this in restricted free agency anyway, and you still control the process there. And I think that's probably where it lands out for Aaron Neesmith. Yeah, that's a great insight. And what's funny is I know you talked about Aaron Neesmith's nickname being Crash. I actually asked him about that when we had him on. and He, he hates said, it, right? He hated it. Yeah. <laughs> He was like, oh, I hope I never hear that again. (laughs) It's just funny, but, you know, he really has been a a really nice surprise here for the Pacers. And I think, you know, coming into it, he was not shooting the ball particularly well off the bench. And I was like, man, I'm really not loving the trade that we just made because it's kind of like really inconsistent. Then when they went to, like you said, the four guard lineup with Miles Turner, things really started clicking. And I think we kind of saw the the best side of Aaron Neesmith and, uh, when Halliburton wasn't out there, he was a much different player. Let's just put it that way. So I, I definitely think he's a beneficiary of the greatness of Tyrese Halliburton that we're just starting to to see unravel here. But I talked about veterans last time. I'm curious about some of the young guys on this team that maybe don't seem to fit all the way. Chris Duarte is a big question mark for this team. Obviously drafted just two years ago, but really kind of fell out of the rotation, had a lot of injuries. And then Jalen Smith was a starter last year, was promised a starting spot. Ended up really becoming the third string center behind Isaiah Jackson at points. And I know they kind of changed that role uh, there uh, here and there. But what do you think the value is for those two players at this point in their in their young NBA careers? Yeah, Chris Duarte is such a tough one, right? Because he, he's a guy who early in his rookie season, you that they kind of saw like, all right, this guy is pretty good. And that was a little bit of the he got tagged with the he's so much older, right, than a lot of other guys coming into the league. So he should be really good already. And then this past year, just, you know, everything kind of the wheels fell off. He got hurt. I think his playing time was super inconsistent. He could, whether that was, you know, deserved or not, I think probably more deserved than not. Um, you know, it just wasn't there. And I think the big thing that he lost all faith in was I felt like whenever I watched, he was a mess defensively. I felt like he just couldn't kind of, do the things they wanted him to do. And it felt like at times they wanted him to almost play like Neesmith as a like super duper small ball four. And I felt like he couldn't hold up play. Like it just, I don't think he really knew where he wanted to be and where they wanted him to be. And I think that bled into everything else. Confidence fell off, shot fell off and just kind of went sideways. That said, Value is probably pretty low, right? Because just there's just not a whole lot there. So I think if you're the Pacers, keep him, see if you can rehab him, get him back to what he looked like as a rookie. Because as a rookie, he looked pretty good. Now, if you're another team, this could be one where maybe he just needs a change of scenery. Much like Neesmith, maybe this is the opposite situation. Get him somewhere where the path to playing time is a little bit, a little bit smoother, a little bit cleaner. Because he's he's probably not really. Uh, you know, he's definitely not a four. Um, you know, right. I think we all know that now yeah. for sure. Um, in the two, three line is just so crowded in Indiana, whether it's because Nemhard's playing as kind of a two in those groups with, with Halliburton and the dual ball handler lineups and those kind of things. I think, you know, it just becomes very hard. You know, he's not going to play over heel. He's probably not going to play over Neesmith. Definitely not going to play over Matherin. So where does that leave him, right? So that could be one where it's, hey, either he's a throwing in a trade as a, hey, let's get him, t- toss him in and 
maybe we can, you know, plus up the salary match in a trade or whatever it is. That could be the direction this goes. But otherwise, just hang on to him and let it play out because you're not in any kind of rush on him either, I think, right now. You, you don't need the roster spot or anything quite that badly. Yeah, yeah, the Pacers have a lot of flexibility going in the offseason, which we're all really excited about. But sometimes the idea of that cap space always tends to be better than the end result. <laughs> now, be. yeah, with free agency coming up, the Pacers have not really been major players by any means. I mean, you look at guys that they've re-signed, you know, it's on on the first available day, hey, we're going after T.J. McConnell, going to bring him back. Or Torrey Craig's coming in. Every now and then there might be a Tyreek Evans coming in here. But with the new CBA in place, do you think teams are going to be more likely to hit the trade market hard to maybe unload some of those contracts signed in the past to set themselves up for the next few years? Yeah, you're going to have some of that. This is kind of the grace period year with, with the new CBA coming in, especially with, I call that second tax apron. I call it the super tax because I think it just makes more sense and it's way more fun um, than second luxury tax apron. Like that, what does that even mean? Like who cares about that? Just call it the super tax. Everybody immediately gets very expensive. Got it. Um, I think with those teams, what you're looking at is this year for some of them is going to be, let's get our books in order. Let's shed a salary or two. Let's move on from some guys. Let's rebalance things a little bit to get us into a spot where, where all right, now we can do stuff because the restrictions are going to be so tight on those teams, especially a year from now. When we're going into the offseason of 2024, they're not going to be able to do trades as easily. You're basically, you know, without getting too deep into it, you're down to signing your own draft picks, re-signing your own players, and signing players to minimum contracts. There's not a lot else you can do. Trades are harder because trades are dollar for dollar. You can't aggregate. Like like I've said multiple times, throw Tice into a deal, throw Duarte into a deal with another salary and bring back more. Well, if you're a super tax team, you can't take two $10 million players have it be $20 million in outgoing salary and go get a $25 million player. You're not able to do that anymore. You can't aggregate guys together. Uh, you lose your mid-level exception. It's just going to be really, really hard to add talent to, to your team that's not already there. So what I think you're going to see happen is some of those teams that are in that position, whether it be this coming season or they know like right, we're going to be in that spot a year from now, we don't move some stuff. You're going to see some teams probably do some moves where it turns into, all right, we're rebalancing here. We're going to move off of this salary now. We're going to go in that direction. And that's where Indiana could pick up a really good player, right? Because sitting on $27 million doesn't have to be used to sign a free agent, right? It could be very much used to taking a player via trade. And it's not even normally we think of those traditionally been salary dumps, right? Hey, I'll give you a first round pick to eat this bad contract. I don't know that that's going to be the way this plays out um, this summer. It may be, hey, we just got to move this guy and get, give us Chris Duarte, and that's fine, right? Because we, we just got to get off this $25 million salary or whatever it is. And I think they're in position where either, you know, flesh out their depth by picking up two or three guys, or you could just, you know, eat, eat one player where it's like, you know, this guy's actually pretty good. And now we got him because this team needed to get off a little bit of money. All right, Keith, in terms of direction, I think there's probably a few teams we could talk about here, which way they go, but I think there's a couple that really could impact free agency and, and the trade market and that kind of stuff. Who are two teams that you're keeping a close eye on that you think whatever direction they go, it could really be impactful with how the rest of free agency and the trade market uh, you know, plays out. Sure. Yeah. Portland is obviously one of them, right? Because they're in this weird spot where they have Damian Lillard. They seem like they want to still try to win with Damian Lillard, but they also have the third pick and they have other interesting young guys. And those two things don't go together, right? That That's yeah. not a, not a mutual path to success. So I feel like this off season, because they have the third pick, which is such a high, you're not talking about, you know, the, eighth ninth tenth pick where it's like yeah we can kind of go either way with this the third pick is such a high pick it almost forces you into picking a direction they could spin that pick plus some other stuff into getting a really good player to put with Damian Lillard some of their leftover talent and now they really move that thing forward and pour them into being a contender um or they could finally say no Dame we really like this guy at three. If it's Scoot Henderson and he overlaps positionally with you, let's just kind of call it what it is and let's you know set this thing up to go our separate ways. And if they do that, that's going to be the bidding war of all bidding wars, right? Because that guy is still outstanding mm -hmm. as a player and teams are going to line up. Uh, Toronto is kind of in that same 
bow just with lesser stars um talent it's it's lesser guys but it feels like they have to pick a direction right it's been like all right you're now on year like three of kind of sitting in the middle what are we doing like you're you're not really going forward but you're not going backwards enough we need to you know figure this thing out is scotty barnes your guy because if he is so let's start maybe tearing this down and rebuilding around him a little bit um or you know do we feel like barnes is a good player but he's just a piece all right then let's keep siakam let's maybe resign a couple guys and let's you know really try to add to those guys and move forward that way um and i'm not gonna i promise not just because i'm on your show um but i'm really curious to see what the pacers do because anytime you have a young talent like Halliburton, who i'm just super duper high on as a star player i think you tend to uh you you almost owe it to that player before the rest of the roster gets so expensive to try to start making moves now, right? Let's start trying to do some stuff because it's just going to get harder, right? That's going to be the challenge. You know, you, you get him, you know, a year from now and he's making, you know, 35 40 million dollars you're in a spot where it's not quite as easy right to to fill out um your roster as it may be right now this i'm not going to say this is our last chance at cap space but we're getting kind of close to to that and that's where you know whether it's a trade or a signing or two or whatever it is i think this is a chance really let's let's uh kind of put not the finishing touches but let's put more pieces in place that can grow with tyrese Halliburton as we move this thing forward you know I, I do think that Tyrese Halliburton has sped all this up, and, and you do want to try and win now compared to holding him back another year as he was already an all-star in just his third season. So very much a, a lot to be excited about. But as we wrap up over here, you know, the Pacers are going to end up picking 29th due to the Boston Celtics pick. Aaron Neesmith developed well. Malcolm Brogdon, sixth man of the year. Obviously, Brogdon, you know, when traded, part of it was the injury history that he's had. Seeing Brogdon go down in NBA, you know, uh, the Eastern Conference Finals, awful to see. But is there a, a part of you that is worried moving forward given his repeated injury history? Or is it, hey, you know what? The Celtics got the sixth man of the year. You know what? Time after time, that that's the move that we make. So, both. <laughs> um, there was the right trade to make. Mm-hmm. They got everything out of him that they hoped to get out of him. You know, and then he just got hurt at the yep. worst possible time and in it's it's often easy to to write off struggles to an injury um in this case i think it, that's 100 percent what it was i yep. mean he just couldn't shoot anymore and it it's funny i throughout the course of the year um really just watching him every single day i was like malcolm brogdon already shoots like he's shooting a medicine ball with a torn rotator cuff like it's just it's such an awkward form but when once he tore the ligament you know near his elbow and his forearm or what we still don't have the final full details of what that injury is but once that happened he just it was it was going to be impossible for him to get the ball you know up on the rim and you could almost see it was like putting everything he could into those shots so right trade to make um Gave them everything you could have ever possibly asked for, one six-man of the year. But there's two things for me where I think if you're the Celtics, you have to consider what is our shelf life here with Malcolm Brogdon. The thing number one is the injury history, right? This was his first healthy, mostly healthy season since his rookie season, right? Mm -hmm. And and then it off the wheels fell off. Now, is that because he played a lesser role coming off the bench and less minutes and all that? I'm sure there's some to that, but is it also, you know, we kind of get lucky. I think that's probably more like it, right? Is, you know, what happens now the next two years at 22 and a half million each year, if that 67 game regular season turns into a 50 game regular season, that's not quite as good, right? Because now, now you're kind of like, yeah, man, we're paying this guy a lot to not be on the floor. The other piece is, and this is not a criticism of Malcolm Brogdon in any way. He was asked towards the start of the playoffs about coming off the bench, you know, and did he like it? And he openly said, no. He's like, hey, it was not what I, you know, I, I don't want to do it, right? He, want, he wants to be a starter. And I have no problem with that, right? I have no issue with that at all because he's a competitive guy. He's always been a starter. But I think it's one of those things where let's say the Celtics season is going a little sideways next year. And let's say, you know, Marcus Smart or Derek White is not shooting as well. And Brogdon is still having a really good year. That turns into, well, you know, if I was playing more, if I was in the opening group and those kind of things, those are just the little things that can you know, start to go. So you add it all up, 
along with what we talked about with super tax and penalties for being super expensive. And if Boston, you know, uh, uh, extends Jalen Brown and all those things, this adds up is this could be the time to kind of sell high on Malcolm Brogdon, move on, kind of replenish your own depth in that kind of spot there where it's, you know, cause he still has value and some teams going to look and be like, Hey, a guy who can score and shoots 45% from three coming off the bench, sign me up. I'm ready. And we'll throw him back in our starting five or whatever it is. Is, um, you know, there's always going to be some team that's willing to do that. And I think that may be where Boston goes because it kind of feels like something's going to have to give this this summer. And it feels like that's probably going to be it. All right, Keith, I know we got to get you, let you go here, but I wanted to do a rapid fire thing real quick where I'm going to name a player. And I want you to tell me if you think he stays with the team that he's currently on or if he's on a different team next Love year. It. So just a little bit of fun. We're going to start things off. Bradley Beal. Stays. Jalen Brown. Yeah. Uh, all right. <laughs> Stays. <laughs> if, if he accepts the supermax. if he doesn't, he's going to get traded. Cause you can't, you can't have him going to his walk year, you know, yeah. without. Okay. Trey young. Stays. Pascal Siakam. Traded. DeAndre Ayton. Stays because Frank Vogel went there. I think he's going to get the best out of, out of Aiton. He does a good job with bigs. I think he's going to, going to get the best out of Aiton we've seen. I agree. I think uh, that's going to be a fun thing to see play out. But the last one here, OG Ananobi. Traded because I think Toronto is going to hit the reset button. Um, that's why I think Siakam's going to get traded. I think Ananobi's mm-hmm. going to get traded. I think Toronto is going to kind of maybe tear the Band-Aid off, really bottom it out, yeah. go Barnes, get a get a good high draft pick, try to you know, really reset that thing in a big, big way and come back you know, in a year or two uh, yeah. with a much better team. I had one more player to throw out, and I was yeah. Let's do it. Not, it's not on the same tier, but I'm just curious. The Brooklyn Nets, Dorian Finney-Smith. I think he's going to stay only because his contract's pretty good value, yeah. and I think the Nets have some other guys that are a little expensive, and like a guy like Cam Johnson's going to going to he's going to get paid a lot yeah. uh, this summer. I think he's kind of a free agent that people are sleeping on how right. much he may get paid, and I think having that kind of value guy like Finney-Smith is going to be huge for them. I just, I just I, wondered because Cam and Mikel play like the three, four, you know, DFS yeah. might not be able to fit with them in the starting lineup. Do they try to trade him? Cause he does have value. He's just, you know, they, the Mavericks obviously valued him a lot higher than I think his value is with the Nets. Yeah. I think you kind of throw, uh, Bridges, Johnson and Finney Smith and just say we're covered now two through three two through four yeah. and that's it they you know they're very switchable they can all guard every one of those positions and we, we just live with whatever the result is with probably nick claxon at the five and probably another year dinwiddie i'm um, mm. at the at the one for now but but i think yeah those three guys you know if, if you've got that kind of switchable trio there like that i would just run with that i i got one last one for you that's it. obi toppin yeah, so I, when I wrote about Obi Toppin in the article that came out, I said the Knicks aren't going to extend him because, you know, they, they'd have to extend him at such a low number because he's a 12-minute-a-night game backup for, for Julius Randle, right? And he's not going to be anything more than that as long as Randle's on that team. But if they trade him, um, and I think there's maybe a chance that happens, I think he gets extended. So if I was another team, I'd be trying to, trying to pick him off. For example, if I was the Pacers, I could find a way to get Obi Toppin. I, I'd do it. I'd plug him in as my starting forward, move forward. I think he's really, really good. And I think he just needs those minutes. He, he screams one of those guys. You know who, who he kind of reminds me of? Uh, Pacers fans will like this one. Not in the way they play, but just in circumstance. Reminds me of Jermaine O'Neal. Just sat. I knew sat you were going to go there. Right? I've said it. I've yeah. said that before. And then, Obi's going to explode in the next place he goes to yeah. with an opportunity. And the one. Yep. One thing I want to throw in over here is the Knicks don't have a draft pick. They need to re-sign Josh Hart. They want to re-sign Emmanuel quickly, and you want to get better. Where is there any room to pay Obi Toppin any yep. money? Yeah, that's it. I don't think they're going to. They'll right, And this is a good example of one of those ones where, all right, if Randall misses time and it really pops and becomes huge or whatever, we let it play out to restrictive free agency and we still control the process. Or or maybe we use him in a trade package at the trade deadline or something like that. But but I'm with you. And that's where I think you know, the Pacers with those three first-round picks, 
there's a lot of opportunity there to do a lot of stuff. It's funny because, you know, when the rumor came out, uh, what was it, a week or so ago of, you know, they're going to try to trade up. I think a lot of people instantly went to, well, how are they going to get into the top five? Because they have, what are the two later picks, 26 and 29? That's not going to get you very far, right? The reality is, right? Um, But that's where I was like, yeah, but it doesn't have to be trade up from seven. Maybe they just make seven in 26 and 29. Can that get you up to 22, 23? You know, what, what if there's a guy you just really like and you're like, that's our guy we want to go. Or, you know, to that point, could you throw those two guys and, you know, I don't know, Chris Duarte or somebody else. And could you, could you do that and say, Hey, you know what? I know it's not ideal and not super perfect, but we'll take Evan Fournier back, right? Because because we can, right? We can go. And could you get Obi Top in that way? I think you know that that would be almost kind of the the, the perfect guy for for the Pacers to to grow. Because you know I, I like to you know start to envision things, and I love the idea of him spreading the floor for Tyrese Halliburton, right? Mm-hmm. With Miles Turner trailing, let Halliburton make the decision, right? Either I'm going to lob it to Top and at the rim if they drop to cover that. Great, I have Turner coming up as the trailer. I drop it off, and there's a three, and we've got all sorts of options. Like, like I, he, he's a guy I would be pushing hard to get, uh, not just for the Pacers, but just about any team that has a spot open, a real rotation spot at the four, because I think he's going to you know, really show that he can really, really play. So do I. Yeah, maybe the Knicks should just try to trade Julius Randle and let Obi Toppin be that guy there. But that's uh, a, a some story. Knicks fans would tell you that's exactly what they want them to yeah, do. I've been hearing be, it all maybe. day long. <laughs> oh man, well, great stuff, Keith. That was awesome. Just kind of bouncing ideas off of you. Maybe we'll have you on again uh, after the draft and kind of just figure out where the paces are. Maybe do a little bit more of a free agency preview. But I think this was great stuff, man. I really appreciate you coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. All right, everybody, joining us now on Setting the Pace, it's Tyler Metcalf from No Ceilings. Tyler, what is going on, man? How are you doing? I'm fantastic. You know, the the draft is rapidly approaching. It's uh, wild that it's this month. Um, yeah. It, you know, it's, it's been a long process, but we're almost here and uh, very exciting stuff. Yeah, we're about 15, 16 days away. I mean, it's just crazy how close we are getting. And the Pacers have had multiple draft workouts. I think number seven is the one we're going to talk about today because – the headliner for that one is Gigi Jackson. I think a lot of fans are very intrigued by his game, and I know you wrote an article on him in January, and it's just been a very fascinating thing to see. And obviously there's been stuff that happened after January with Gigi Jackson that we'll talk about. But in terms of Gigi Jackson, the player, youngest guy going into this draft class, what does he have to offer and why should teams really look at him maybe earlier than I've seen a lot of his projections? Yeah, I mean, the, the sales pitch with him is 6'8-ish. Uh, I forget the actual height off the top of my head, but a- around there, 6'8-ish athletic power forward who can create his own shot, uh, really good handle, really good shooting projection. Um, and like you said, incredibly young. He should be going into his freshman year. So the idea is that he's still really early in his developmental curve, is still really moldable from um, a skill and archetype and just IQ and, you know, good habit versus bad habit standpoint where you're getting this ball of clay with immense potential and you're getting in really early and getting an opportunity to mold him into the type of player that your organization needs to, you know, continue winning basketball games. Yeah. Gigi obviously reclassified early. He was viewed as arguably the top recruit in the nation for next season in college basketball. Obviously this wasn't the season that he hoped for, 
But, I mean, do we feel that with hindsight, hey, it was a mistake to reclassify? Or if anything, was it more valuable to have that season in college basketball compared to just another season in high school? Yeah, and that's always tough because you never know what's going on in person's personal life and behind the scenes and all that kind of stuff. Uh, from just a pure draft stock standpoint, though, um, it's looking like it was a big mistake. Um, you know, Gigi's now getting mocked in the late first round, uh, even early second round in a handful of places. And if he ha- was, you know, still in high school all last year and going into his freshman year, he would probably be number one almost consensus on most big boards, most mock drafts, all of that stuff for next year's draft. So if we're just talking about from a draft stock perspective, it it's kind of looking like a big mistake or a big miss on his part, but he's also getting to that NBA money and NBA development a little earlier than his peers. Yeah. It's going to be interesting because if he went back to South Carolina, like that situation was obviously toxic. So he yeah. probably would have been in the transfer portal, had to find somewhere else to go and I wonder how much that would have just hurt him as well because it was a tough spot for him to be in, but it does kind of feel similarly to a Shaden Sharp from last year. Uh, we did get to see at least Gigi play in college, but like going from a junior in high school to playing in you know that tough of a conference in college basketball is a big jump. So while it might not have been the greatest experience at South Carolina, at least there's more film of him than a Shaden Sharp. So do you think that teams – should be a little bit more eager to jump up to try to get him or, or is this more just the immaturity that he showed a big red flag? I, I think there are a lot of red flags. Um, the, the rawness, the South Carolina situation last year, none of it did him any favors because it kind of, it didn't really put him in a, the best position to round out his overall game um, and really improve as that all around basketball player. Um, I, I know they're, you know, not one for one comparisons, but like when you look at the ignite and when they bring in guys like London Johnson, even, and even Scoot Henderson a year early, they're putting these guys in really tough positions to grow their game in different areas. Whereas if they went to just a college program, they're pretty much just going to roll the balls up, ball out and be like, Hey, go have fun, go dominate. Like if you, some of the stuff that Scoot Henderson did with the Ignite this year, I guarantee he would not have done that if he would have gone to a Kentucky or Kansas or Duke or wherever. With Gigi, that's kind of what we saw this year where he really wasn't held accountable on the court. Um, I, I think it was really good for him that he did end up getting benched after that whole Instagram debacle. Um, but, you know, a lot of the reports are that his workouts are a fraction of the speed as his peers, uh, not interviewing great. The workouts are kind of hit or miss. Um, it sounded like he was sick. So I think that is still important to note, but he's not, he's kind of continuing to not do himself any favors. And this should be a guy where during workout season, he's just lighting it up in these workout settings because he is that skilled and kind of dynamic and athletic. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about how athletic he is. He is dynamic. I mean, he's listed between 6'8", 6'9". You talked about youngest player going into the draft. However, the perception of him, it's all over the place. Some people are scared off. Some are saying, I don't overthink it. This guy should be around a top 20 pick off of potential alone. But is it safe to say his ceiling is the absolute, one of the highest in the draft, perhaps outside of guys going in the top three to five picks? Yeah, and if things go right for him, he finds himself in a situation where they really nurture his development and, you know, bring him along, teach him the game, and he buys in and proves that he can be coachable. Um, His ceiling is astronomical, just given how big and how skilled he is right now. It's really tough to find that combination in, you know, players his size. And when you find a guy like that this young, it wouldn't surprise me if a team in the lottery still convinces themselves that he's worth, you know, the lottery ticket, despite some of the red flags that we saw during the season, just talking about, on, you know, on-court product. And you're talking about, uh, you know, going to the right team, basically, and needing that infrastructure. Do you think the Pacers are a team that could have that right infrastructure for a guy like Gigi Jackson? I know that they're probably prior to the rebuild that they started once they traded for Halliburton. I would say definitely not, but it does feel like they're in a little bit of a different spot now with the youth movement that they've kind of embraced. It's really tricky. I kind of keep going back and forth on it. You know, just thinking about on court, 
I, I love the idea of him playing with Tyrese Halliburton and Tyrese just making his life infinitely easier and, you know, kind of showing him what ball movement is uh, because <laughs> South Carolina didn't have any of that this year. And it was no. just iso ball after iso ball after iso ball. So from that standpoint, I really like it. I get really worried about how uh, Rick Carlisle's going to kind of react to that. Uh, not historically the most nurturing to younger players, but he did go to this Indiana situation. Uh, that was kind of a rebuild. Um, maybe it was a little earlier than he expected, but I don't know. Where, where, where are you guys at, at with that in terms of like the Rick Carlisle um, aspect of it? Uh, it's It's been great. There was that perception from Dallas, like, oh, yeah. he's not going to play the young guys, but a guy like Andrew Nemhard was a second round pick ended up, you know, playing extremely valuable minutes, had a huge role this year. Obviously, Benedict Matherin spent the majority of the time coming off the bench, but still had a really big role. So mm-hmm. I, I do think he has changed that tune a bit, but those were two of the better rookies that, that just came out in this past draft, where a guy like Gigi I don't think is going to be able to give you, say, 25 minutes a night, like some, some of those guys were. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. I was going to say, you know, we know that he coached Matherin very hard. And the leash was probably a little bit longer with Nemhard because Nemhard was so talented defensively, where Matherin wasn't. But he wasn't afraid to, you know, bench Matherin in games when he was not cutting on offense and not doing mm-hmm. things on defense. And I think, honestly, some of that hard coaching could be good, could be you know, good for Gigi Jackson to kind of teach him the self-discipline side of basketball and having to earn his stripes, you know, just be not be given everything. And I think that with the Pacers. The veterans they brought in last year, James Johnson and George Hill, both are free agents. But if at least one of them is back, the way the front, the front office talked about their veterans all season long, which is glowing and how they can really embrace these young players. So I, I don't think it's as bad as it once was like we talked about. Like yeah. you're not talking about the Nate McMillan era Pacers. You're not talking about the Nate Bjorkman era Pacers. You're talking about, okay, we got Halliburton. Let's just continue to you know build this thing up from from the ground and try to figure out what we got instead of trying to patch holes and be a playoff team. So I, I do personally think Tyler that they could be very patient with Gigi, but it all just depends on how does Gigi handle that situation. I, I feel like this is the locker room that could handle that personality mm-hmm. because it's a, it's a big, it's a big risk, but it's just crazy to think that I think the latest ESPN mock draft had him going like 33 in the second round. So it seems like there's that many teams that are kind of out on the wild card that he is. Yeah, and I, I for Gigi, you know, alone, I, I think going to a coach like Carlisle, who just has so much experience dealing with, you know, every range of the spectrum in terms of personality and ego and talent um, in the league, with I think he'd do an incredible job of being able to teach Gigi the game. Big question: How does Gigi react to that? Because we have yet to see him be coached hard. So, you know, optimistically, I think it'd be great um always kind of comes down to the player though uh but on on the court i kind of the more i think about it the more i like it just with how kind of athletic and versatile your guys's backcourt kind of is looking in the near future yeah i mean there there's you know you talked about how patient should gg be and all that that's great point not comparing these players to gg but from an age standpoint jermaine o'neal andrew bynum both drafted age 17 uh, started in the league at, at 18, which was both the youngest ever at that time, both contributed little to nothing their rookie year before slowly developing and then both becoming all-stars. How patient does an NBA team need to be with Gigi before he's actually contributing meaningful minutes in the NBA? I, my, my stance before I kind of make up an ultimatum or a decision on a guy um, after they get drafted is up like three years. I, I try to refrain from unless things go horrible, like really, really like horribly wrong. Um, and you can see that pretty quickly, but I, I, I usually aim for like three years in terms of kind of figuring out is like, okay, does this guy have it or does he not? Um, given behind the scenes stuff, work ethic, practice, all that kind of stuff. NBA teams can sometimes pick up on it a little quicker, but I think that given how young Gigi is, I think by year three or four is when you can really get a really good sense of, okay, what type of player are you going to kind of continue to grow into? Because when we talk about year three, year four, he's 21, 22 at that point. And is he picking up on more of the team aspects on both ends of the floor? Or is he still kind of reverting back into those bad habits where he's settling for really tough mid-range pull-ups all the time? And, you know, 
by then, those are kind of some of the things that should be should be a lot clearer. Yeah, it's kind of weird to think that, you know, when Gigi Jackson enters restricted free agency, he'll still be two years younger than Chris Duarte was when he was drafted. <laughs> so it's like you got to really put that into perspective here when you're looking at a guy like this. But um, let me just kind of put you on the spot here a little bit. I don't I don't okay. usually do this, but I want you to give me your sales pitch for why the Pacers, if you're trying to convince Kevin Pritchard to take Gigi Jackson, um, give me your sales pitch on why he would be a good person to go out there and try to draft. Uh, 6'9 power forward who can theoretically do anything you need him to on offense. Really good handles, tough shot maker. Uh, I, I I know the shooting percentages weren't necessarily where you want them this year, but I 1,000% buy the shot. I think he's going to be a really good, good shooter um i'm 52nd percentile which in college is good given the pool of players um shooting off the catch pairing that with a basketball genius like tyrese halliburton is going to simplify gg's role uh just increase the efficiency increase the decision making and it has the potential to really take the pacers offense to top five levels when you think about him um Halliburton and Matherin two, three, four years from now. You know, he obviously, when you think of a guy like Gigi, you think of offense first. Obviously, we talked about if you're looking from an efficiency standpoint, yeah, you know what, it wasn't there last year. But he does have the tools to potentially be a good defensive player. If he could be consistent and obviously, you know, continue to, you know, add on size, grow, all, all of that stuff, be more mature. That's going to be the biggest adjustment for everybody going to the NBA. Do you feel that he has that defensive potential on the next level? It, potential, yes. Theoretically, yes. It's all going to come down to, is he going to care about that end of the floor? And if he does, uh, you know, the rare occurrences where we saw him really lock in, move his feet, you know, pay attention, have his head on the swivel off ball. Um, there was promise there. There are a lot of people who are really high on him as a defender going back to his high school tape. I was a little lower on that. Um, if to me in his high school tape felt a lot more like a guy who was bigger and more athletic than a lot of the other guys that he was playing against. And that covered up a lot of the issues with his defense, South Carolina. It was pretty awful. Um, very low effort, very low awareness, very low fundamental and technique. Um, but is that situation, did he kind of check out? Was he just discouraged by everything that was going on there? Who knows? If we just look at the profile, the tools, the athleticism, the frame, the strength, all of that, he should be a good defender. But it's all going to come down to, is he going to care enough and really buy into the coaching that gets him to where he could be as a defender? All right, I'm going to shift a little bit from Gigi. We've talked a lot about him, and I think that Pacer fans probably have a good idea now based off of our conversation of, what they're getting and what they're not getting with him and what he needs to work on. So from a Pacers perspective, you've covered this draft class thoroughly. I'm just curious if you could pick three players from this draft that you think would be perfect fits for the Pacers. We kind of know their draft range and they're at seven and they're in that 26 to 32 range. Could you give me just three players that you think, Hey, I really like their fit with the Pacers. Uh, do you want me to go like one per pick or just, um, yeah, you can do one per pick or maybe two per pick just to kind of okay. give a couple optionalities there. Yeah, and at seven, if Taylor Hendricks or Jairus Walker are there, I would sprint to the podium. Um, I lean Jairus. I think he's a better player. Um, really like Taylor, though, especially just how simple his game and game is and how versatile his defense is. Uh, either one of those, pairing them with Tyrese and, you know, Miles Turner, I I think that's pretty much perfect. Um, looking later in the first round, Julian Strother is a guy that he's just an insane shooter. Um, I, I think he should be a first rounder. Um, he's going a lot later in a lot of big boards and mock drafts, but yeah, I go look at his sh shot chart, go look at his shooting numbers. They're absolutely insane. And he improved a ton off the dribble. Um, also one of the best wing rebounders. Um, Julian Phillips is a wing uh, I really like in the late first round. I think he has a lot more to his offensive game than uh, Rick Barnes allowed him to show. Shocker from Rick Barnes there, but his athletic testing at the combine 
was really, really impressive. Uh, the defense all year was some of the best in the country, uh, let alone, you know, the SEC. Um, and I do think that the the shot and just the all-around offensive game is going to um, really emerge. I He's one of these guys where I, it wouldn't surprise me if he grows into an OG and an OB type player. Ooh, I like that. Uh, if there's one player that you feel is, you know, um, being talked about really high, should be a maybe a top 10 pick, that might be more likely to be a bust when it's all said and done. Who's that player that comes to mind? Ooh. Oh, boy. Um, tough question. That is tough. Okay, so obviously I, I'm always rooting for these guys. I want to be wrong. I'm lower. This is a guy I'm lower on, um, Amen Thompson. I just I figured it had to be one of them. Just the shot, you know, between them. It's got to be there eventually. Otherwise, if it's not, you can't live up to being a top 10 pick. Yeah, I and mean, everything I've heard about him is that he's great kid, super coachable, works his butt off, um, which is awesome. Freaka, everyone knows about the athleticism, the playmaking is super creative, dynamic. Um, I really worry about the at room finishing too. I think his scoring touch is rough. The shooting mechanics are not good. Um, you know, there were a couple clips of one of his workouts where the form looked significantly different than it did at OTE. And I liked it less than before, which is not great. Um, and then defensively, he should, again, he should be incredible. There are really good flashes of him locking in, being the shutdown defender. But there were also long stretches of him just completely checking out, ball watching, turning his back on his defender or on his assignment. He could either be the second best player from this class or someone who doesn't go top 30 in a redraft seven years from now. Yeah, that's a pretty wide margin right there. And I, I think that it's pretty consensus for most people that he'll be the fourth overall pick for the Houston Rockets. But I don't know. I think the Rockets might surprise us and go a different route. I, you just never know what's going to happen. And last year, Houston was kind of in a spot where they had to take the leftovers of the top three in, in last year's draft between Boncaro, Chet, and Jabari Smith. And so now it's kind of like they're in the same spot here at four because they don't get Miller, Scoot, or once again, uh, obviously Victor Wobinyama. So now they're looking at both Thompson twins, Cam Whitmore, Jairus Walker. I actually kind of like Jairus Walker to fit that with that Love team. Jairus Walker. I think his fit with that team, especially if James Harden comes in and Anudoka is already there, I think it could be a good fit for them. Uh, but that's just my opinion on that. But Anyway, I think the last thing I really have for you, man, is uh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna talk about him because he had a workout today for the Pacers. Trace Jackson Davis, Indiana guy. A lot of people are interested in him. It seemed like media was pretty heavy for him as well. What do you like about his game? Where do you think he falls? Uh, so for the last three years, I've been just completely out on him. Um, okay. I was just like, oh god, six nine center who doesn't shoot. Awesome, great. Yeah. These guys yeah. always make it and. <laughs> Just every year, he just grew his game a little bit by little bit by little bit. I The explosiveness is insane on both ends of the floor. Uh, one of the best rim runners in the country, really good screener. Um, what really impressed me this year, though, was how he operated as Indiana's offensive hub. He was everything for their offense. Uh, his ability to attack from the perimeter and get downhill, his footwork on spin moves in the post, and then his playmaking. Uh, where he was not just fine kicking out to open guys, but he was moving defenders and really reading the second level of the defense and spraying the ball all over the place and accurately with pace, with touch. Um, offensively, it's like, God, this dude's insane. And yeah. it's like, just please shoot. Just please once. Just take a jump shot. Uh, but he's stubborn and won't. Uh, and then defensively, just the explosiveness makes him an awesome rim protector and rebounder too. So it's, I think he's going to be one of these guys that probably goes late first, maybe even early second, um, depending on how turned off teams are by the lack of a jumper. And I think in the redraft, he's going to be a guy where it's like, God, like, why did he fall so far? Because he's going to find a niche and a role and just, I think he's going to be someone who outperforms his draft spot. Mm, love it. I think, I think all, all Pacer Nation is looking forward to that. And like we talked about before, the Pacers do also own the 32nd overall pick. So if he does fall just outside of the first round, there's fantastic value there. My last question for you, gut call, when it's all said and done, does Gigi Jackson sniff an all-star game, even if it's just one. Uh, yeah. I, if you're setting the line at 0. 0.5, I would take the over. 
Okay. And hey, if if he's most likely being selected in the 20s, it feels like there's not as much of a risk there to, you know, that is a top 10 lottery mm-hmm. for a guy that might only make one all-star game. So I think that sounds pretty good. So Tyler, hey, I really appreciate, you know, you coming on the show. Please tell everybody where they could find you out on social media, some of the awesome content you're putting out as well. Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at tmetcalf11. Um, but you can also follow all of our draft stuff at noceilingsnba.com. It's 100% free. Um, just click that subscribe button while you're there. And we released our draft guide last week. It's 10 bucks. Yeah, you can find it at noceilingsnba.bigmerch.com com links i may have messed up that link sorry it you can also find the link on no ceilings nba.com yeah. um would love your support if you don't have 10 bucks no worries all of our written stuff monday through friday is 100 free and we have uh monday through friday podcast uh the no ceilings nba draft show as well that's great stuff and i'll make sure i put that link in the description for everybody so tyler thank you so much for coming on and we will talk to you soon appreciate it all right Fachi, like you just said off air this was an action-packed episode Lots of really fun stuff that we talked about, so hope you guys enjoyed that as we keep the ball rolling before the NBA draft and before Baby Fachi makes her appearance into the world. We only are, you know, what, a week away? Is that from the due date? A week, uh, if, a week probably at most. So trying to, you know, knock out as much content as possible for you guys before, you know, maybe I'm a little bit MIA, you know, we'll see how things shake out. But yeah, you know, Baby Fachi, a true mystery box at this time. You know, <laughs> could be this week, could be early next week. I don't know, but I'm going to keep podcasting until I can't podcast no more. All right, man. So we had a great show. Really enjoyed our guest. Thanks so much for coming on. And Fachi, go ahead and let the people know where they can find all of our content out on social media. Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter at Setting the Pace 3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook, Setting the Pace. You can find us on TikTok, Setting the Pace. And Alex, tell them where they can check us out on YouTube. Ladies and gentlemen, go to YouTube.com slash Setting the Pace, a Pacers podcast, where you can check out our latest interview with Jordan Awara. Our video is up. You can see Jordan in there talking with us and just an absolute great guy. Really enjoyed that podcast. And we got to put our top 20 big boards out on Setting the Pace podcast.substack.com because people are curious. So, That'll be coming out probably within the next couple of days for you guys on there. So keep an eye out for that. If you missed the podcast or you forgot what we said, we're going to have that in written form. But with that being said, Fachi, if you're super excited for what this Pacers offseason can become, then hit me with those three words. Let's go Pacers! Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We going to need a mop. Smooth. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.